Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Church, I grew up in Anadarko and traveled over to Apache uh, all of my teenager years. Uh, back in 1981, I'm, I'm not going to try to guess how old I was because I always get it wrong, but in 1981, um, a, a family moved in to Apache from Missouri, uh, and my pastor, they became my pastors, they were my youth pastors, and they became my pastors and moved in to become my youth pastors and served in that role for about a year and then became the senior pastors, and they served in that role for 29 years, and they retired last Sunday. And so I was there for his first message and went down to celebrate his retirement two weeks ago on a Saturday. And as I was riding home, the Holy Spirit said, you were there for the first one. You better be there for the last one. And so I called Mike, and he graciously uh, agreed to fill in. And so I appreciate you allowing me to be gone. We never can go wrong by paying honor. Just We're supposed to give honor to whom honor is due. And so... I'm really excited. They're supposed to be here second service. I'm really excited about that. But uh, so we interrupted our series. I'm going to finish it today. We've been dealing with the concept of beginnings out of Genesis. Um, And the truth is, is that I've uh, posed some very challenging, I think at least that they're very challenging questions and thoughts to you during the course of this series. Let me just remind you of a couple of them. First of all, first week, I ask you to really examine your life and to come to grips with whether there are any visible indicators about your life that God is first in your life. Because if you act like and talk like and spend like and live like everybody else around you, how are they ever supposed to know that you have positioned God first in your life? And so I want to challenge you again. If nobody around you can tell that you're a Christian unless you're wearing a Christian t-shirt, then you're missing it. If nobody around you can tell that you are born again and that your life is right, unless they see, happen to see your car and there's a little fish emblem on it, and that's the only way that they know. They can't tell by the way you talk. They can't tell by what you laugh at. They can't tell by how you spend your money or where you spend your time. Then something is wrong. God's not really first. There should be visible indicators. The second thing that I challenged you to deal with is whether you had a word from God because God's word sustains us. God's word heals us. God, God's word prunes us. God's word provides for us. You need a word from God. God is constantly speaking. And then two weeks ago, I challenged you to quit playing the blame game. It's it's not everybody else's fault. It's not the devil's fault. It's not your brother's fault. It's not your mama's fault. It's not your ex's fault. It's not anybody's fault. We cannot blame anybody else. We make the decisions and the choices that shape our life. So we can't play uh, the blame game. So this morning, I want to finish this series up, go back into Genesis, and I want to just talk to you for a few moments this morning about this. Gardens grow pansies. I love that title. I've had fun with that title all week. So uh, if you will, join me in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal animal that moves on the face of earth. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He cre- created them male and female. And God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, 
Be responsible for fish in the sea and the birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on the earth and every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given them to you for food. To all animals and all birds, everything that moves and breeds, I give whatever grows out of the ground for food. And there it was. And God looked over everything he made. It was so good. And then this next statement, so very good. God is constantly throughout the course of creation. The six days of work that he involved himself in, in creating night and day and heaven and earth and light and dark and trees and birds and animals and plants and any other thing throughout the entire scope of creation, the first six days, at least on six occasions during those days, he examines the handiwork and gets egocentric for just a moment. I guess he's God. He can get egocentric anytime he wants to. And he examines the work of his hands and he recognizes and grades himself. He evaluates himself, if you will, and he says, it's good. In other words, he looks at what he's done and he sees what he's accomplished and he says, this is so good, I give myself an A. I just excelled in this. I'm above average. I've done great things here. It's good. And then we roll in to the last day, day six, and he finishes all the work and he takes one more long look over everything he's done and he raises the level a little bit and he says, you know what, I did better than just A. I did A+. plus. Not only did I do good, I did very good. And if you really stop and think about what all that God had accomplished, you understand that he did good. In fact, when you begin to think about his creative ability and the fact that he created paradise on earth. He created something out of nothing through the power of his word. He was able to shape and form this paradise on earth and now there's no wars and there's no strife and there's no sickness and there's no death and there's no tears and there's no stickers and there's no chaos. There's harmony, lions laying down with lambs. There's no issues. There's no threat of natural disaster. There's no snowmageddon. There's no earthquakes. There's no tornadoes. There's no tidal waves. None of that's going on to call what he created utopia is the understatement of understatements perfection in fact it is perfectly perfect think about what is going on in this scene we we discover that that it's unrivaled in beauty. Everything is in perfect condition. Everything is pristine. There's no pollution. There's no politics, thank God. There's no poverty. There, there's no need. Everything is there. Everything's prepared. It's heaven on earth. It's utopia. And so it was that on day six in this postcard-like environment that God goes to work and takes a perfect mixture. I don't understand how he did this, but he takes a perfect mixture mixture of soil 
and begins to work it and shape it and at some point breathes into the dirt. Just look at your neighbor and say, you're nothing but a big old dirt bag. They'll understand what you mean. You're not meaning it mean. You're just meaning it literally. We're nothing but the dust of the earth. He takes that dust and he forms it and he shapes it and it is the masterpiece. It is the crowning moment of his creative ability. And he finishes that work and before him stands man and God speaks. The first sound that Adam ever hears from God is God speaking destiny over his life. Take a moment and think about this. The first words that caused the virgin eardrum inside of his ear canal to vibrate and cause sound to, to go down those nerves and somehow, some way, some stimuli take place in his brain. I still don't understand how you take sound and vibrate an eardrum and that to translate into thought. But somehow, some way, some, some miracle process that only God understands that sound wave is produced and our thoughts take form and shape. And the first thought that ever goes over Adam's mind is God, the God of the universe, Speaking over his life, marching orders. God has issued Adam's call. The dossier of his life, if you will, has been delivered. In a simple, clear, concise statement, God puts Adam and consequently Eve on the path towards purpose. Did you hear it? Here it was. Here it is. Listen carefully. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That was their marching orders. That was their job description. That was the vision statement of their life. That was the mandate that would put them on the path of how to live their entire life. But as you know, from Genesis chapter 3 that I read to you when we were together last, bad invades good. You will remember that utopia is interrupted and order is shattered by chaos. They make a conscious decision to make a bad choice and that bad choice now, if you continue to read, drags them kicking and screaming out of paradise into an environment where there is now strife and there is now hardship and now there's sweat and now there's blood and now there's tears and yes, there is even death. The garden's gone. Exiled. I don't have time to do this, but you ought to go home today and read. It's, it's not the most uh, invigorating chapter or exciting chapter to read in, in the Bible. In fact, it's one of those that we skip over frequently. You ought to go home and read chapter 4 of Genesis. It's one of those beget chapters. So-and-so beget so-and-so who beget so-and-so who beget so-and-so. And about the sixth beget, you're going... I just don't get this. Why is this even here in here? Well, let me try to teach you a lesson from the beginning this morning that I think that's important because it is as you read beyond the fall into chapter 4 and then further on throughout the course of Scripture, even up to this day, you learn some lessons. Here's lesson number one. Bad choices change their environment, but it did not change the call. 
I'm going to help somebody this morning. If y'all stay with me. Adam and Eve made a choice. They made the choice to disobey. And then they tried to justify their clear disobedience. They knew the will of God and chose not to do the will of God. That doesn't sound familiar, does it? Isn't that the story of our lives as well? We willingly choose to disobey and then we try to justify our disobedience. We know the will of God, but we don't do the will of God. And then we try to justify it. That is the story of their life. Their choice changed their environment. Utopia was lost. Paradise is forfeited. They're no longer living on heaven and on earth. They are out in the wilderness, if you will, and they're having to work themselves to death, and everything that was easy is now difficult because of the choice of their life. But I want you to catch this truth. Their choice changed their environment, but their call did not change. There's another element to this story that you need to recognize, and that is this that the consequences of their choice did not change their call either. See, I, I came to tell somebody this morning that the call is consistent. That, that there are definite and severe and sometimes painful consequences brought about by the choices that they made and by the choices that we make, but even the consequences of our life cannot change the call of God on our life. See, many of you think that because you made some bad choices that you've also forfeited the call of God that was placed on your life. However, what I came to tell you is just because the environment has changed does not mean that the mandate on your life has changed. The Bible declares that the call of God is without repentance. In other, ways, in other words, you can't get away from it. In other words, you cannot run from it. You can run, but you can't hide. The, the call of God that God placed on your life will chase you down. It will not relent. It will not let you go. It doesn't matter how many bad choices you've made in your life. It doesn't matter how the environment has changed around you. The reality is, is that the, the call of God is without repentance, and you can't get away from it. See, the truth is this morning is that you can't change God's mind about you. Oh, y'all didn't hear that. You cannot change God's mind about you, even if you've changed your mind about yourself. In fact, I, I came to tell somebody this morning is that God will never change his mind about you, even if everybody else has changed their mind about you. The call is alive. The call is there. The call is secure. What God said about you still goes. What God proclaimed over your life and promised to you decades ago is still secure and it's still there. Your environment may have changed, but the call has not. Now, I will tell you that I don't want to paint some pie in the sky and Make you think that you won't suffer the consequences of your actions because the truth is, is you will. There will probably be some pain and there will probably be some sorrow and the results of our choices always have repercussions. Always. However, God's call on your life is bigger and stronger and can reach further than your mistakes or your screw-ups and your call can outlast the consequences. That was good. 
Y'all don't have to amen me this morning. I know I'm preaching to somebody. I'm, I'm probably not preaching to all of you right now. But there are some of you sitting in this room that have given up on the call of God of your life because you made some bad choices. And you think that because you made those choices, you will never be able to fulfill your call. I am telling you that the call of God can outlast all the consequences determined by your bad choices. See, some of us have allowed the bad choices we made 10 years ago. Or for some of you, it's the bad choices you made three days after you came into a relationship with God to derail you for the rest of your life. You'd be amazed how many people are still floundering in their walk with God based on mistakes they made 20 years ago. You would be shocked by how many people are still not fulfilling the purpose and the plan of God on their life because of something they did as a teenager. Now, 40 years later, they're still walking around in shame and in bondage and in frustration thinking that what they did 20 or 40 years ago still dictates who they are today. I came to declare to you that, yes, you made a bad choice, and yes, your environment changed because of that choice, but the call of God is still there doesn't change we have to grasp the fact that the garden teaches us that bad choices don't have to be the end the second thing that I want you to notice about this account and the lesson that we're taught is this and this is a such an important lesson and that is that purpose is seldom fulfilled in paradise Let that sink in just a moment, and then I'm going to break it down for you. Purpose is seldom fulfilled in paradise. Adam and Eve, how many of you know that Adam and Eve fulfilled the call of God on their life? They were fruitful. If they weren't, you wouldn't be sitting here. They multiplied. If they didn't, you wouldn't be in here. They were prosperous. Look around you. All of this has direct links back to the fact that they fulfilled the call of God on their life. But I want you to recognize that they did not fulfill the call of God on their life in the garden. They fulfilled the call of God on their life as exiles, as exiled people. They had been kicked out of the garden, and yet as they were kicked out, they went ahead and they fulfilled the call of God on their life. See, many of us, Receive the call of God on our life in utopia. Think about that just a moment. I was going to tell you my story, but I think it's most of our stories. I heard God during the utopia moments of my life. What are you talking about? I'm talking about I heard God when I was unfettered by bills because my mom and daddy were paying for everything. I heard God when I was unburdened by the responsibility of children. I heard God speak over my life when I didn't have to worry about getting up working 9 to 5. And I didn't have bankers knocking on my door saying, when are you going to pay this or when are you going to pay that? I didn't have any cares or concerns. The only thing I thought of was, what next video game am I going to play? How many of you know that's the utopia of life? That is not real life. I hate to break that to the teenagers in the room. That is not real life. Most of us hear the call of God in our life during the garden moments of life. But the garden's gone, y'all. I don't know what your life is like, but I ain't living in no garden. 
I got bills and I got kids. Right there's enough to say the garden's gone. Right? They keep me up at night. I worry. Anybody else in here ever worry? Anybody else in here ever wonder how am I going to make it to paycheck to paycheck? Come on, folks, let's get real. That is not the garden moment. We've been exiled from the garden moments of our life. But I just want to tell you this morning that Paul understood that. If you go into the New Testament, we discover that Paul understood the desire to live in garden moments, but he also learned a powerful lesson. You can't live in the garden moments. You'll remember that Paul comes in prayer to the Lord. He says, I got this thorn in the flesh. We all kind of guessed what it was. And he begged God three times, let let me get rid of this thing, this this." exiled moment, this this weakness, this hardship in my life. Let me get out of that, and then I can fulfill the plan and will of God on my life. If you would just help everything to go perfect, then I could serve you. And God wouldn't remove it. The garden was gone. And what Paul recognized is this. He learned in the light of his hardship that Jesus' strength is perfected in our weakness. It is in the painful places of life that he discovered that God's grace is sufficient. See, you don't need everything to be perfect to accomplish your purpose in life. Oh, y'all didn't hear that. I'm going to say that one more time. You don't need everything to be perfect in order for you to fulfill the purpose and plan of God for your life. If everything was perfect, you wouldn't need him. You may think you've been exiled and that the circumstances and surroundings and environment of your life are fighting you and keeping you from doing what God has said to do. But may I tell you this morning that the truth is is that it is from the place that we called an exiled place that you have to learn to press on and fulfill your call anyway. See, Daniel found himself in an environment that was not conducive or comfortable to fulfill your call. Every garden aspect of Daniel's life had been removed. Go back and read the story of Daniel. What you discover that he is now captive. What you discover is that he now has a foreign name forced upon him. What you discover is that the, the, the ruler that is over him begins to make edicts about prayer and worship that go Contrary to everything Daniel's ever been taught in his own religion, he is in in an environment that is absolutely opposed to him fulfilling the call of God on his life. And yet, Daniel still fulfills his call. I want to say this to you this morning. I think this might help somebody. You are going to have to learn to answer the call, hang on to the call, and fulfill the call in the harsh places of your life. With bills piled up, you're still going to have to fulfill the call of God on your life. With choices that have taken you on a different path than what you thought you would be traveling by now, you are still going to have to learn to fulfill the call of God on your life. With choices that have delayed you and perhaps derailed you momentarily, you are going to have to still learn how to fulfill the call of God on your life. Kids and responsibilities may seem unbearable at times and you may think I can't really do what God has called me to do because my circumstances have changed. At that moment, you've got to learn how to continue to press in and fulfill the call of God on your life. You have to press through 
We don't talk about pressing through much anymore. We used to talk about pressing through in prayer and pressing through in life and pressing through to a miracle and pressing through to a breakthrough. Now we just give up. Too hard to press through. But I want to tell you this morning that you will, most of you will never have the opportunity to fulfill the call of God in your life in paradise. Everything's not going to be perfect. Some of you are going to have to break an addiction to fulfill your purpose in life. Some of you are going to have to work a minimum wage job while you get the education necessary to fulfill the purpose of God in your life. Some of you are going to have to work jobs that you don't even like for a period of time to get the financial basis in place for you to be able to actually answer and fulfill the call of God in your life. And if you're not careful, you will grow weary in that and you will give up and say it's not garden life, it's not paradise life. I can't answer God's call on my life because of that. And I came to tell you, you got to go in anyway. Some of you are going to have to deal with physical limitations for the rest of your life. And you're still going to have to pursue and fulfill the call of God. So I just wanted to come this morning and challenge you and say this to you. Quit waiting for everything to feel or look like the garden before you answer the call. Because sometimes you just got to get busy in the briar patch. Anybody ever lived in the briar patch before? I've lived there. It does hurt. It's not fun, but it's life. And if you can't, can't fulfill the call of God there, the chances of you ever getting back to paradise are slim to none. I want to challenge some of you to quit doing this. Quit saying, I will do this when I have enough money. You'll never have enough money. Oh, y'all are fun. I wish some of you would quit saying, I will do what God has called me to do when I have enough time. And I ain't got enough time. Ain't nobody got enough time. Anybody in here got enough time? I don't have enough time. I'm doing what God called me to do in spite of the fact I don't have time to do it. What are you waiting on? You got to make time. You got to manage time. Julie told me to quit saying I'm preaching, but I'm preaching right now. <laughs> she ain't here. So I can say what I want to. I'm preaching right now. If you would just learn to manage the time that you have, you might have enough time to actually fulfill the call of God in your life. Turn the Game Boy off. Turn the PlayStation off. Turn the TV off. Log out of Facebook. Hang up the cell phone. Turn the radio off. And spend some time fulfilling the call of God on your life. I'm preaching. Probably watching online. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll pay for it when I get home. I understand. Love you, baby. Hope you're feeling good. You watch, watch me dig out now. I ain't living in no garden. I want some of you to quit saying, man, I would fulfill the call of God on my life if I had the right friends. You may never have the right friends. 
because your call's not based on your friends. You call, your call's based on you and what God has said about you. I'll tell you right now, people told us we didn't have the right friends. You got to know somebody. The only people I knew was the people I knew. I love my team, but they didn't think we were the right team because we, we don't have prominent positions in the community. We're not well-known, not rich. None of my core team was rich. If they are, they're hiding it very well. I wish y'all man up and show me. Yeah, Tino says she'll be the first one to start. So if I was going to wait, we wouldn't be here today. I wish somebody would understand that you got to quit saying, I'll do this when I get older. Because when you get older, if you hadn't started it when you're younger, the chances are you won't do it when you're older. Quit waiting on the right job. Quit waiting on the right relationship. Get busy and fulfill your purpose now. See, some of you are waiting on the pain in your life to stop before you will answer the call of God on your life. But I've taught you, and I will continue to teach you, and I will continue to pound it into you. What I wish somebody would have told me when I was young is that your pain plays a vital role in your ability to actually fulfill your purpose. Quit waiting on the garden and fulfill your purpose in the grind. I want to tell you this morning that most people never fulfill their call in the garden. They fulfill their call in the grind. It's those that are willing to get up every day when they don't feel like it and when they don't see results and when every chair is not full. I'm preaching to me right now. When every space is not taken and nobody's beating the door down to get in, it, it is those folks that continue to grind it out, grind it. There are no overnight sensations or, or overnight success it's people that grind it out grind it out grind it out grind it out year after year decade after decade and then all of a sudden they burst on the scene and everybody goes man overnight success are you kidding me Chuck Close is one of the greatest portrait artists of our time I'd never heard of Chuck Close until the other day and I kind of got this blog that I read that pointed me to him and said that he's a great artist. And I went, look, this guy said, if you look at Chuck Close's portraits, you simply think you're looking at a photograph. So I went online and searched. You ought to do this when you get home. Go in and type Chuck Close image, all right? It'll pull up all these pictures. I was going to show you one on the screen, but I couldn't tell which ones he painted and which ones were photographs of what he painted. Literally. It's freaky. You look at it, and it looks real. So I couldn't tell which was which, so I decided I wasn't going to make a mistake and show you one that was a picture of his picture. I wanted to show you the real deal. He works in pen and paint and sometimes pencil, and he's so brilliant that sometimes he uses thread, and you can't even tell. It looks so real. Well, that's pretty cool, but when you discover the backstory of Chuck Close's life, it becomes even more profound for this lesson that we're learning this morning. Because if you knew the backstory of Chuck Close's life, you wouldn't think what he does is possible. Let me explain. Chuck Close can't remember a single face that he sees. He suffers from this condition. I'm going to try to pronounce it and I'll probably butcher it, but that's all right. Prosopagnosia. 
which is a condition that leaves him unable to recognize faces. He can create a masterpiece with your face, but he can't remember your face. That's wild to me. You think that for a person in closest condition, that creating portraits would be the last thing that he'd ever be doing. Because, listen to this, faces are his greatest weakness. But what we discover is that just the opposite is true for him. It motivates him, and he said this. He said, everything in my art is driven by my disability. Man, I wish some Christians would get a hold of that truth right there. The pain that you're going through is the very thing that God is trying to use to promote you and to position you to fulfill the call of God in your life. Quit whining about it. Quit blaming everybody else about it. Quit sitting on the sidelines waiting for it to become perfect because, newsflash, it ain't going to be perfect. See, that's what makes his work so brilliant. It should that what comes out of him should not be coming out of him. But his greatest weakness has become the source of his greatest strength. It's provided a platform where his greatness, listen to this, can be amplified. So here's the truth this morning. We all deal with weaknesses in one shape or form. Some of us hide it better than others, but we all have weaknesses. Some of you feel completely inadequate for what God has called you to do. I'm the charter president of that club. Pardon me a moment. I'm having a private moment in my head. That's me. I get up every morning and look in the mirror and go, I can't do this. Some of you don't think you can make it. Some of you are fighting sicknesses right now that are hamstringing you. And keeping you from doing what you think you would like to do. But what I came to tell you this morning. Is that in every person. There is a weakness. But there is also a platform produced by that weakness. Y'all didn't hear that. In every person, there is a weakness that exists, but because that weakness is there, there is a platform that is also evident in your life. And if we could ever get our eyes off the weakness and understand that God will take that weakness and promote that and use that and develop that in spite of all the weakness that we have, He uses it as a platform. An opportunity exists an opportunity to amplify the greatness of God in a way in our life that if we operated on our own strength, we would never be able to amplify God's greatness the way our weakness does. God is not looking for a perfect person. 
please catch this this morning, then I'll be done. God is not looking for a perfect person. You know what he's looking for? The perfect person. Y'all didn't get that. One small word. He's not looking for a perfect person. He's looking for the perfect person. And who is the perfect person? The perfect person is a person whose weakness provides God an opportunity to make their life unexplainable. That's good. I wish I'd have come up with that statement. But I'm inadequate. But I got to bring it to you this morning because my weakness has provided a platform by which I can stand and say, when God works through me, my life becomes unexplainable. And if some of you would recognize that, yes, you have a weakness, but it doesn't have to become perfect, and you will allow God to turn that weakness into a platform, when you stand and do whatever God has called you to do, people will look at you and go, that is totally unexplainable. They shouldn't be able to do what they're doing. And all of a sudden, you have the opportunity and the platform to go, it's because of Him. We get caught up on our weakness. I came to tell you this morning that some of us have to be driven out of paradise to fulfill purpose. A baby can't stay in its mother's belly all its life. At some moment, you got to push them out. Why did the football cheer just go across my Push them back. No, push them out. Push them. Weird like that. neighbor and say, God, push them out. See, eventually, we have to be removed from paradise so that we'll get to work. Listen to this statement. Your hardship is God's way of trying to get you to get busy. God didn't allow the hardships of your life to derail you and get, get you to give up and to sit on the sidelines the rest of your life and mope and complain and make excuses as to why if, I, if this hadn't happened, I would have been the greatest such and such. If this hadn't happened when I was 28 years old, this would have been the greatest thing. I would have been, I would have been, oh, if I had just gotten the right job, if they hadn't bypassed me and given my job to somebody else, I would be such and such. If my marriage hadn't fallen apart, if all this hadn't happened, it would be a different story. And maybe God is, has allowed hardship to come your way just because he recognized that if it had been perfect all of your little life, you would have never accomplished anything from him for him because you would have been satisfied and you would have been apathetic and you would have been lethargic and you'd have sat on your blessed assurance the rest of your life and never done nothing for him. You want to know why? Because gardens grow pansies. So if your life has been perfect, then I'm sorry, you ain't nothing but a pansy. It is those of us 
that have endured hardship and are still walking and still serving God and still fulfilling God's call and purpose on our life, even though everything looks and points to the idea and the fact that we shouldn't be able to and we're still going and we're still preaching and we're still serving and we're still praying. Those are the people that grow up to be roses because roses are surrounded by thorns. So look at your neighbor and say, you ain't no pansy. So if we're not pansies, Why are we trying so hard to get back into the garden? You go read the story. The Bible says that when God kicked Adam and Eve out, he positioned a sword-wielding angel and said, try it. I dare you. Cross that line. Come on. And we've been trying ever since then to get back into something that God is never going to allow us to get into. And we waste all of our energy and all of our tears and all of our finances and all of our relationships and all of our spiritual energy on trying to get things perfect. I came to tell somebody that God has called you and God has purpose on your life and God has destiny planned for you, but it will never come in a perfect package. Because if it came in a perfect package, you'd be weak. And, catch this, then I'm done, you would take credit for it. Because I know how we are. That's how we're built. We would take credit for it. The reason that I don't have an, I don't think I have an ego problem, I'm trying my best not to develop one now, is because I know where I came from. And I know that I hate talking in front of crowds. So y'all didn't know. I hate talking in front. If you don't believe that, try to stand Talmadge up in front of a crowd. What did he tell you? He won't tell you nothing. I was the same exact way. I, Devin looks like me, but Tal acts like me. I was shy and timid, intimidated, bashful as all get out. Some of y'all just think I don't like you because I don't talk to you. That's not it. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm, I'm being real transparent with y'all this morning. That has nothing to do with it. The reality is, is I'm bashful. I struggle with that. I pray to God that I never take credit for what he's done in my life. How can I stand on a stage preaching to 3,000 teenagers only one way? I had to press through the hardship of my life and say, God, that's what you've called me to do. And if I don't do that, I ain't nothing but a pansy. Okay, now here's the real question. What has God called you to do? What are you not doing right now? that God has called you to do, and here's the million-dollar question, why? Because everything you say after the why 
just reveals your pansiness. That's a new word. Because it's just excuses. I don't have enough money. Excuse, pansy. I don't have the right marriage. Pansy. I, I, I don't have the right job. Pansy. I'm bashful. You pansy? Because everything you say after why is nothing but an excuse. We will never be perfect. I want you to stand with me this morning. Some of you have made some really bad choices in life. Some of you have endured things in your life that changed your garden experience. Some of it wasn't even choice. You know, some of you made some bad choices that have caused you to find yourself outside the garden. Others of you didn't choose. It chose you. You didn't make the choice. But something happened, and now you find yourself on the outside looking in. But I just wanted to encourage, I really did want to encourage you this morning. That bad choices, bad hands. Anybody ever been dealt a bad hand? I, I'm looking at some of you. I know. I'm looking at some of you right now. I know you've been dealt a bad hand. I know some of the things that you're going through. I know. I know some of you didn't ask for what you're facing right now. Here's the encouragement: your call is still secure. It's still consistent. Father, this morning I pray you would encourage your people. I pray that we would quit making excuses. We recognize this morning that most of us will never have the opportunity to fulfill our purpose and call and destiny inside of paradise. We would be really weak if we had to stay in the garden. So, Father, this morning I pray that you would strengthen us and enable us to answer, hang on to, and fulfill the call of God on our life in spite of the pain we face and the hardships we endure. I pray you'd take the weaknesses of our life and produce a platform that would make our lives unexplainable. I pray that somebody in here would grasp this message this morning and that the pain of their life would provide and produce a platform that would make their life unexplainable so that when others are around them saying, how are you doing this? How are you hanging on? Why aren't you giving up? Why aren't you quitting? Why aren't you cursing God and dying? What, what's keeping you going? I pray that they would just have to raise their hand and say, I don't know. It just has something to do with somebody named Jesus. Help us, oh God. Help us, oh God. I pray that if there's anybody under the sound of my voice this morning, Father, that's discouraged, that feels like giving up, everything's not perfect, they've been dealing with hardships and pain, and they feel like quitting, I pray right now that the spirit of the rose would in, <laughs> come up inside of them, and they would recognize that all those thorns do is they just protect the pretty on us. And I pray that in the name of Jesus right now that you would cause us to get busy right in the middle of our briar patch. You would find people working at fulfilling the purpose of call of God on our lives right in the painful moments. Challenge us today, I pray. In Jesus' name. I, I just sense we ought to do this. I know we do this a lot, but would you just humor me for a moment? Would you just turn to your neighbor right now and lay your hands on them? And I just pray you'd begin to pray strength into them. Just begin to speak 
strength into them. Some of them are fighting things that you would have already given up because of. But pray strength into them right now. Tell, just speak of, hang on. Don't give up. Press through. Persevere. Endure. Strengthen, I pray. Do it today, I pray. Just begin to pray that God would renew the call on their life right now. Father, I just pray over our, our brothers and our sisters right now that the call that you placed on our life in the utopia moments of our life would become apparent again. I pray that the call that you placed on our life would become come back to the forefront again, that we wouldn't grow weary, that we wouldn't quit. God, I pray that that call would be secure in our life and it would be renewed in our life. And even if what we've chosen to do has derailed us and taken us a different direction, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that that call would continue in us and thrust us and force us to keep moving forward. I come against shame and I come against excuses. And I pray that we would march right into our purpose. And we would have a Genesis chapter 4 moment in our lives. Where we would beget the things that you called us to beget. In Jesus' mighty name. I pray, be of good cheer. His strength is perfect in our weakness, and His grace is sufficient. Bless my folks, I pray this week. Keep us safe from all harm. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.